0: Hey everyone, this is Jim. Just wanted to give you a bit of a prologue for this episode uh, before it begins, just in case you didn't listen to our last episode on Dark City and don't know uh, what's coming down the pipeline. So this is actually an episode that we recorded and published last summer when we had a conversation with the Starfish writer and director Al White, but at that point we had put it on our Patreon feed, which we have since uh, kind of cancelled or put to rest, Uh, We were just kind of lazy and didn't really have a a lot of free time and energy to kind of contribute more material to that. So we decided to cancel the Patreon feed and just release this into the main feed, since it's uh, a great episode with some great content, um, and didn't want to deprive people of that. So because it was recorded last year, there's some material in here which may not sound, not necessarily dated, I guess, but um, there are some things which kind of uh, seem of its time. So for instance, Al at one point mentions how... Uh, the pandemic is going to continue to fuck with the Hollywood system, and, and sure enough, as we've seen with Omicron, um, things like you know Sundance recently decided to go all virtual and that kind of a thing. So um, some things which are kind of prognosticated, which have now come to be, um, and that's because this was recorded uh, months ago in August. So, But it's a great kind of all-encompassing, I don't want to say an, an interview, it's really more of a conversation. I mean, we do get into a lot about Starfish, his inspirations, the, the filming process. Even some interpretations, you know, about the ending, about the film itself, about how it, it, it's nuance and its um, emotional complexities. But we talk about all sorts of shit: um, John Carpenter movies, um, manga, and that we discovered when we were kids, um, video games, all sorts of things. It's a really fun, kind of free-flowing conversation for the most part. Al pokes fun at me a, a little bit because of uh, the interview nature of my my persona I guess and segueing from one question to another but it was uh, really a lot of fun so we just wanted to present it to you um and also because I wanted to record this because um sense that it's not a live episode I can't let you know what is coming up next uh for February and while we don't have full plans for the month sorted out just yet at least I can tell you what the next episode after this one is going to be again inspired by the Dark City episode we did We will be covering the film Spiral from 2000. No, that is not the um, Spiral from the Book of Saw film, but um, Spiral, originally entitled uh, Uzumaki, um, based on a manga by Junji Ito, uh, was released here, I believe, as the movie Spiral. So that is going to be the next episode that you can look forward to, Um, but I've delayed enough of your time already. So without further ado, here is our fun conversation with the Starfish writer and director, Al White. just kind of get into because i know um oh, yeah. uh i i have a i have a couple things like oh i want to ask al these kind of things but also we can just let the let the shit flow and I'm, I'm fine with that but um my my first question al that i have is just how have how have you been holding up during the pandemic man it's been a, it's been a rough time for all of us and, and uh have you been how, how's been things with you how long do we have <laughs> <laughs> we can out man i know
1: <laughs> um i know I mean, I, I'm i someone, I can sound really pretentious for a second, but I'm someone who like, my kind of ethos of the world is the intellectual way you look at things and then the emotional way you look at things. And the problem is we tend to try and make them meld too much. And I think we have to respect intellectually. You can understand certain things that you feel, whether it's ethically or just, you know, in your society or in your family, but then emotionally, you're still going to feel how you feel, you know? For sure. Um, and for me, it's, it's been about... I think in a in a weird way, the pandemic has been, I mean, it's been fucking terrible. Get, I can swear, right, on this? Yeah, yeah of, of course, course, of course. <laughs> it's been <laughs> fucking terrible and a lot of bad personal things that happened to me. And, and in any other year, I think I would call it the worst year of my life, just in terms of the things that have happened to me even outside of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Right? And then the pandemic is like, obviously hyper-focused everything for everybody. Um, but there is, I always believe if something negative is happening, Uh, there's some like when bad things happen doors start opening because you have kind of more options and when good things happen it's essentially doors closing because you're going down like an avenue you know so I always believe there is very strongly a a flip side to both things it's just about your perspective and how you can look at it and and with the pandemic yeah I've had a terrible time (laughs) (laughs) but it's it has helped me find Um, a different way of identifying myself it's helped me with work and focus of like what I want to be achieving through work it's made me understand more what I'm trying to do with my if you want to call it career (laughs) and it's helped me understand myself a lot better to be honest so like yeah there's a kind of a piece that I'm starting to get from things of just you have to learn to not have plans (laughs) (laughs) and just take every day and every week and just know something's going to happen today you know like you can like decide to try to accomplish something and then you get to it and you're like no i don't feel safe or i just don't want to do this and you just have to change your mind and just turn around and um so i know i think it's been terrible but i think there's a possibility for a lot of positive growth through it this is my kind of takeaway
0: no, you're, you're talking some real truth, man. I mean, and, and just the idea, like we I had mentioned off mic, like my wife and I had like a wedding and we had to postpone it. And we're like, we're doing the celebration now in the, in the end of, of September. But like the, the world isn't still that dramatically different now than it was March 2020. And so we're both <laughs> intelligent, rational people who are sort of like, okay, we're, we're looking for some type of certainty, some type of force to kind of be like, this is how things are going to be. And then that's just not happening. So you kind of like, I don't know what's happening, but I have to move forward anyway. It's such like a, it, it's a it's a freaky, like stressful situation. And it's just like, oh, and then it's just like, I, I the one thing I know is I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm still going to be stressed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it's, and it's real, it's real crazy. And I wonder for like you as like a, a filmmaker and an artist kind of guy, like there is this kind of, I don't know if you want to call it myth or or pervasive belief that like there's something cathartic to like working through stuff. But do you find that like that as has actually been the case for you or it's like you wake up and like, fuck, like I hate everything. The world sucks, but I have to do work because I have to. Is there a balance there between like there is a cathartic, peaceful healing process and also like, yeah, but I also just have to work because I, I need money and I need to live too.
1: Uh, do you mean with the pandemic in specific? Or just yeah, in yeah, basically, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. No, absolutely. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I think I don't think there's anybody who the pandemic hasn't hit financially, uh, pretty much, unless you were making masks uh, <laughs> or <a> sanitizer. <laughs> <I> just <laughs> happened to get in on that stock before, um, which I still kick myself for because I was—I actually came from England. I like—I finally got my O1 visa. I was like, great! I can actually live in America for years. I could work here and like. And feel a little bit more settled for the first time in a decade, pretty much. And I literally arrived in February uh, 2020. And then I I don't I hate to fly. So I always fly from London to New York and then I drive to LA. And I do that drive about four to five times a year normally. (laughs) Um and and I could feel it like a curtain behind me as I was driving because it was happening in England. Like we just sort of started here. Okay, this shit started. And I came to America and I was like, that's weird. No one's talking about it here. And then as I like drove, it felt like this fucking curtain behind me just closing in. And then you'd gradually get the gas stops and it'd be like, oh, all the sanitizers gone. And it was a weird sort of prelude to the apocalypse, you know? And then I got to LA, we went to see the invisible man in the cinemas, and then that was it. We're Mm. done. Like a week later, done. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've kind of like had that weird thing of like, man, if I'd been just a couple of weeks later, I wouldn't I would still be in England because I can't fly here. And that's been my my big emotional turmoil for it to be honest has been like like oh, I lost my father a year ago. I couldn't go back to see him. Right. And my mom's on her own. And if I go back to England, I can't come back to America where my life, my work, my partner, like everything is. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, that's not a, I can get back there, but I can't come back here because I'm not a citizen. Um, and now it's frustrating because we're at a point where I have friends going on holiday to London <laughs> because as an American citizen, they can go there because mm-hmm. it's open that way and then they can come back again. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life um but there is no but it's absolutely it, like it gets totally i mean you know the, my film starfish was all that it was all me dealing with something like the death of my friend and my own divorce and just like dealing with that through art because that was the only way i knew how to do it and then being surprised that people let me <laughs> <especially>. yeah <laughs> um and now i think Again, there are are great positives, I think, as a creative that you can take from this. And then the problem, if we just want to be industry for a second, is not letting it eat itself because like the studios and producers and people right now, they don't know what Works, they don't know what they want. They right. know, like, there was a long period of time where just like you have to talk about COVID, like, no matter what it is, you've got to talk about COVID. I was like, I don't think people want to see people talking about COVID, right? And now it's all, oh, you have to have a happy ending. Like, we love this, but we can't do it because the ending's sad. Uh, everyone wants a happy ending right now, and I think that's more the thing is like you can get creative with it, if, um, but. Uh, I know so many people I know are writing stuff and have done things and it's one thing if it's infused with what COVID made you feel. It's Mm -hmm. another thing if you're just dealing directly with COVID. And for me, at least personally, it's like, I'm more interested in how people feel. If you make a film that's about COVID right now, it's not going to be relevant you know, no one's really going to care about it in a a few years time, not because COVID won't still be happening. I'm sure it will. (laughs) (laughs) But just because, you know, that's not something we're going to want. We lived it, you know, we went through it. Like, I don't know if we need to reflect on it while we're going through it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think there's great. Like for me personally, like I had a couple of scripts that I had before and now during COVID I found much better. There was one that had a breakthrough a couple of weeks ago where I was struggling with it for quite a while. And then I came back to it because like, oh, okay, I had this character doing this thing because I needed to give them a purpose. And now COVID has informed me, oh no, this is my personal purpose right now for COVID. And I can just, and I can give that to this character and everything made a lot more sense. Um, So I think as always, it's just about being able to reinterpret your life and your experiences yeah without without that becoming the thing that eats the film <laughs> you know and it's sure. different when it's yeah it's just different because it's on a scale that everybody can relate to covid you know everybody on unders- everyone's had an experience during covid
0: yeah of so. course man and, and uh, yeah you mentioned the invisible man uh i think i think it was that that and emma were the last two movies i saw in theaters before everything kind of shut down um which was sorry, which was the other emma the oh the, emma yeah yeah, yeah 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 um that's a double
1: bill that is <laughs> <invisible>. <laughs>
0: um i don't I, did, we might have even seen them in the same day we used to because we have we you know we still have the amc a-list thing so it's like we we do double features all the time i think invisible man we saw was that an imax i don't know it did, once again we getting back to this thing of like how long ago was this like <laughs> it wasn't that long ago but it feels like man that was yeah. That was another. Five wave. years ago. Yeah, it yeah. was like
2: five years ago, was it? No, it was a year and a half ago. What? Yeah. Like light,
0: oh, light My Cigarette, like, oh, the invisible man. I remember that name. Like <laughs> a drug. Like, yeah, that's oh man. But you, you talked about Starfish, which is great because we wanted to talk about Starfish. We've covered Starfish on this podcast. And so you've already kind of hit on that, but I, I I'm always curious. I mean, you said it was sort of an emotional, a very emotional situation which got the which kind of planted the idea in you. But when it came to I mean, I'm I'm curious as to where the process kind of came from was it when the idea came to you, was was it the journey or the expression because the film itself is so like there is a there is a there is certainly a narrative and a journey but it's such a a an experience of the senses both in terms of visual and audio and how you experience the like her journey so I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how how that movie kind of formed in your brain because um, I'm also I guess specifically there's something like the music is such a big part of that movie that i'm also wondering like does the mu- does the music inform the story or does the story inform the the uh the music or is it kind of you know who knows where inspiration comes from kind of a thing
1: um uh, it's i mean yeah i mean yes <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when I did Starfish, it was, um, we were working on a different project that was going to be my first feature. um, And then we kind of realized we didn't have enough money for it. Uh, We had like a couple of investors involved at that point. And then yeah, I lost my best friend to cancer and I was going through a divorce at the same time. Um, and I just sort of stopped functioning for a few months and I've always just been you know my background was music as well as film and I normally throw myself into music and I didn't have the ability to I was in America I didn't have a home here I didn't have instruments and a setup I couldn't record or do anything so so I just turned to writing Um, and my my personal quiet place is is normally Colorado it's just mountains snow and mountains Um, so we actually went up there hired an Airbnb for about a month and then I spent about 15 days to 20 days just writing mm. um and i wrote the first draft of starfish and at that point it wasn't something i was just like i just need to write like it wasn't something i thought i'd get to make um and she never left the apartment in that in that draft because that's just where i was at like <laughs> was this person doesn't have any hope in their life you know they just <laughs> Um, and there were a lot of surreal things that were still going to happen, the themes were the same, but it was just all going to be inside the apartment and we came up with all these drawings for like, cool, this is how like the whole apartment will turn into this part of the world and like, you know, um, which in some ways I kind of wish I'd gone with, um, but <laughs> then about a year, then we didn't do that because I wasn't intending to do it. And then like it took a year of still working on the other project and then really realizing that I agreed with the producers He kept trying to say to me, we don't have the money to do this film as well as it should be done um and eventually i was like no i think you're right and they were like well do you have anything else let's you know do you have anything that's small and can be set in one location i was like well i have this script that i've written that was set in one location so i gave it to them and they read it and they're like we love it but it's it's too bleak <laughs> it's too <laughs> like it's it's very depressing and i was like yeah and i reread it and i hadn't looked at it in ages at that point and i reread it and obviously you were at a different stage of morning um, and I was like yeah they're right this isn't the message that I feel is responsible this isn't what I want to tell people to do it's kind of suicidal to be honest mm-hmm. um, so then I went back to the same part of Colorado it's just near Basalt um, not the same Airbnb but nearby stayed again for a similar thing that winter um, and rewrote it and then handed it in and, and we started making it um, and it was all the, the story all came from you know there's a reason you know obviously it's coy and purposefully annoying to some people that this is based on a true story at the beginning but that was the point it's like no emotionally this is and i try to stay like there isn't much talking in there and anything that isn't exposition to do with the science fiction elements a lot of that was verbatim like a lot of it was when i went to her funeral what people said the conversation i had with someone is the same Mm -hmm. conversation she has outside the house obviously Mm -hmm. abbreviated but you know Mm -hmm. um so i try to stay as truthful to what my experiences were like going through it. And then the period of time where yeah, I stayed like shut in. Um, and then some of the things she even says, she gets on the tapes Some of those are things that my friend had said to me and music was a big thing for us. Like she was in my band for a short amount of time, the person I lost. And we used to send CDs back and forth to each other, um, mm-hmm. not mixtapes because it would, she was just, she was too young. That <laughs> anyway. um, and Uh, yeah so like music's always just very important to me like when I'm writing a script I always make a playlist of what the lead character will be listening to whether it's going to be in the film or not so I can listen to that while I'm writing and um, then I put songs in the script which no one other than my manager ever will actually go and listen to while they're reading the script but I'm always (laughs) hoping people will go and listen to this so they get the vibe of that scene Um, and yeah for this one it just became very baked in and you know it's Look, I hate everything I do, so I'm not gonna like say anything nice about the film. <laughs> but if I'm trying to be objective about it, you know, just objectively, its biggest failings are: I talk about two things rather than one. I talk about the death of my friend and my divorce, and that's messy because people want to connect those two things. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're watching a 90 minute, 120 minute movie, you know, people want everything to be a part of the same messaging, mm-hmm. uh, which it wasn't. She is dealing with two separate things, and that that was a mistake. Um, and yeah, the music side of it it's not something I would repeat, but it was very particular, you know, for me that made sense. It's like, this is the driving force between these two characters. There were actual scenes we shot where you find out this person was in a band. So it makes a little bit more sense in the passing music back and forth. Um, yeah, there was more history that we had for them both, but it just made this the film is too long. Anyway. (laughs) So I still (laughs) want this film to be 10 minutes shorter. So, um, (laughs) so some of that context had to go. Um, and now my brain is going. Wait, what was the question you asked before? I just <laughs> <laughs>
3: no, no pretty, you answered it.
0: Yeah, you pretty much hit upon everything. But uh, so, so you're not the type that once you're done with the movie, you, you really necessarily want to watch it ever again. I
1: don't know. <laughs> oh, I, I went, no, no, no. And I went with um, I went with the film. My favorite, honestly, my favorite thing about making the movie was then touring with it at festivals and then i we did when they did our theatrical i went to like 35 cinemas and i just toured across america and went and supported it and did q a's and just met people and talked to them and that was my favorite thing because at the festivals you got to meet producers and indie directors and like have those conversations that as a filmmaker you don't normally get to have like it's really like for actors there's a lot of resources for writers it's quite a lot for directors that aren't And it's really hard to just get to hang out with other directors and go, hey, how did you do this thing? Or like, what were the problems you had with sales? And like, you know, how would the distribution fuck you on this? And you get all the inside (laughs) stories and stuff. And so that was great. But then to go from that almost directly to then doing it and meeting people and having the people who get up and walk out (laughs) and having the people who just like come up to you crying, you know, just getting that whole range
3: Mm
1: -hmm. um, was part of what we are talking about with COVID. It was that part of that thing of knowing, oh, when someone comes over to me and says, wow, I, re- I loved your movie and this is how it affected me. I know someone else in the movie, f- sorry, someone else in the room fucking hated my movie. And that's and I, that's really important to remember, I think, as a creator and vice versa. Like when someone says they hate something, right, well, someone else really gets a lot of what you did. And, and it's more about you finding that balance and finding what makes it worth it to you. And, and touring the movie really, really did that for me. So like I would see the end of the movie a lot because you're waiting to do Q&As. Mm-hmm. And luckily the last <laughs> five minutes... I like of my movie because Sigur <laughs> Ross is playing and if you put Sigur Ross over anything, ah, I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I can do that. So I did the ending of the movie quite a lot, but like the rest of it, no, it, it hurts me greatly to watch any part of it. Right. That's
0: <laughs> That's the thing I'm I've always worried about. I mean, let's be honest We I, I don't think I'll ever... Make it as a as a filmmaker, but there is a part of me Stop. that's like, hey, wait, 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 No, yeah. not
1: ever say that sentence. That's a stupid hey, right. sentence. To say.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's very defeatist. Come on.
1: Well, I,
0: I mean, but well, I mean, I, I say that not in the sense of because I keep trying and failing. As much as I haven't even really started trying yet, so the, it, it's it's more of that thing. But and it's really up to you, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Um, And that's but that's always the part that would make me nervous is like watching not just watching my stuff but watching people watch my stuff and just kind of like. Or i yeah. don't really like yeah this.
1: so the amount of directors i know it's like oh yeah i snuck in at the back and i want to sit there to see how people's like no i don't want to know <laughs> no right <laughs> don't yeah. tell me don't text at me don't do anything like i don't want to i know i do not want to know
0: Yep. Um. put a <laughs> put a movie out there and then just go on vacation for six months and then come back and so that no one's talking about it anymore
1: <laughs> yeah and i think it i think people get so It's like, yeah, like I was just saying, like, people get so hung up on the negative stuff. And it's like, that's because you're letting the positive stuff affect you too much. So of course, the negative stuff's gonna affect you. Like, you have to find out why are you making a movie? It's like, producers have to worry about what's your demographic? We're trying to make money. And I respect that completely. But distributors the same but directors sure you should bear that in mind and you should be sympathetic to that but you've got to find what is your reason for doing something where do you get joy out of maybe some people is just making money and that's fine then try to make money and there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. um for me it's been i've realized uh, and doing that tour made me realize like i had five screenplays that i wanted to make i scrapped them all after we did our premiere at fantastic fest because once i saw the film with other people and talked to people it's like oh i'm redefining what i want out of myself and i want mm-hmm. to do better um, and for me, I've just realized I want to make movies that I like, and I can't tell if I make the movie I like, cause I can't be objective about it. So I just have to look at the people around me that I respect, um, like the musicians, directors, video game directors, like whoever I respect their taste and just, and even and critics as well, but like the ones you respect and just be like, well, did they like what I made? Cause if so, then maybe I did the job I wanted to do. Um, and that's been my personal barometer and which I'll definitely be using moving forward. i want to make those people happy like when you get a message from like i've had like childhood hero musicians like message me and say lovely things and those are the things that for me are like oh i'm just that makes it all like makes me so happy (laughs) because when people you respect like something that you did it's like okay that's fucking great Uh,
0: james i've got a few other things but uh, i I certainly don't want to hog everything so unless you have
2: no, I was I was gonna ask about the whole the music part about was it always, you know, were you always going to like score your own film? Like because I'm like a big fan of like filmmakers that also delved into music, like John Carpenter is like my favorite filmmaker, so that he tends to go, you know what? I know what I want for my film and what my film to sound like. I'm going to perform my own music for it. But that's something that not a lot of filmmakers do. A lot of, you know, a lot of filmmakers don't have a musical background. So was that something from the start of when you started, like, getting this film made? Were you thinking, okay, I'm going to score this film from the start? Were you scoring it and thinking, maybe I'll just get a, you know, this is just for me? Or was it just, no, this is, I need, I need to score this film. This is like that personal journey for me.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for at least understanding that I didn't write all the songs for the film, as some people fucking <laughs> They're right. like, oh, this is just an ego trip. And this person's just trying to sell his band by writing all the songs. It's like, no, obviously I didn't write this fucking. <laughs> <before."> <laughs> did you watch it? Like, I know, right? You, why? Yes, hello. I am Cigarose. Well, Ciga good to meet you. Yes. Like... <laughs> um, and also, what's your least favorite John Carpenter film? Um,
2: Memoirs of an Invisible Man. I, I, I yeah that one i just can't really watch other than that i even something like ghost of mars i can find the good in that film
1: good for you I'm happy yeah
2: i know be- I'm, I'm 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 yeah it's well if, if you ever like jim and i very we differ in a lot of taste like i can see i can watch like the trashiest film ever and see like the good in it like somehow he'll be like that film fucking sucks, <laughs> which is good. It's a good dynamic because we get we yeah, get we get a we get a good conversation. It's not like we love this film, yeah, yeah and that's yeah. it. And it's like yeah, that's no. boring.
1: I do no. a podcast show, and I hate it when all three of us agree on the film. I'm like, no, we need a fucking argument because <laughs> I miss that so much. And you don't get to do it online anymore because everybody just wants to be in one corner or the other corner, right. and you can't. Mm-hmm. And everything has to be like, I'm I'm not. Look, everyone needs empathy. Is the most important thing to me but I'm not a big fan of the movement of Like just say nice things. It's like, no, we, people are able to have opinions and criticize stuff. Just don't be right. a dick about it. You know, you don't send mm. death threats to the creators and call no. people out to be mean, but you're allowed to think, hey, this movie's a piece of shit. And this is why I think it's a piece of shit. Like that's right. fine. They're just movies. Everyone needs to calm down and stop being so like having their feelings hurt. It's like <laughs> anyone who says something terrible about something I've made before, is like, oh, all right. Like then don't watch what I do next. It probably <laughs> won't be for yeah.
0: You know, yeah, it's that well, simple. I, I saw um, I saw a tweet uh, yesterday that it, or some other day that was somebody to the effect of like uh, there's a difference between um, I didn't like it and it wasn't good because uh, mm-hmm. just because you don't like something, it doesn't mean it's, a, you know, it says anything about the quality. It's just like, you know, sometimes things just aren't for you and that's totally yeah. valid.
1: Yeah, every, everything is always just someone's opinion. Like, it's ridiculous when you go to right. art school and they judge your your fine art. Fine, I went to fucking fine art school and people were judging it to give you right. grades. <laughs> How is that possible? Right. <laughs> and one of them was a rugby teacher. <laughs> like, I don't. Anyway, what are we talking about? We'll yeah. talk about the square. <laughs> um, I. Yeah, well, I, look, to be honest, it's something I'm still going to, if I'm lucky enough to keep making movies, I'm going to have to figure it out because I'm not like, it takes a lot from you to do a score. Obviously, I'm not talented enough and well-versed enough to do like, necess- you know, a lot of things I might want to do in score. I couldn't do. Um, with Starfish, obviously, it's a very, poor, very personal movie. And I didn't, I've only really, I use other people's music quite a bit. Um, I rarely get other people to score. I've scored a lot of my own like short films and things. Um, just because it's, I am a bit of a control freak about the sound elements, you know, and the and the music elements. Um, and uh, honestly, also we just didn't have much money, so we couldn't even really afford someone. So it became an easy decision of like, well, I guess I'll do it. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a hard. I've told the story a few times, but it was like the worst part of it for me was doing the score, and it, it was because I. We had a protracted, difficult post production because a lot of us first time creators, and then we had a couple of people kind of screw us over accidentally. Mm-hmm. And it may, and then I made a whole bunch of mistakes. And always hire a post production coordinator that's all I can tell you. <laughs> if you're trying to save money, that's not the place to do it, you'll spend more money. Mm. Um, and yeah, basically it went on too long, and then it, we ended up nine days out from having to hand the film over, and there was no score on it. Mm. And... I had been putting it off because in order to do the score, I knew I had to get back in the headset I was when I wrote the film. Mm-hmm. And when it's about grieving, yeah. I was in a different place by that point. It was like four years later mm-hmm. and I was in a very different headspace. Um, so I ended up in, in London in a little Airbnb. I had a MIDI keyboard. Which I have somewhere here. It was like, <laughs> you know, it's like as long as your arm, you know, <laughs> like as oh, your forearm, like elbow to like fingers. So it only had like a couple of octaves on it. And for anyone who may other do do, to do, do, do music? Not much, no. Yeah. It's a nightmare. If you're trying to write strings, which are meant to be like, you know, beautiful and elegant <laughs> and, and you just do it on the keyboard, it's going, <laughs> it's, you have to use so much imagination to like in your head, understand <laughs> it. And I've written, you know, strings a, a bunch before for my band, uh, but, but it was just like, this is not ideal at all. And I spent three nights not sleeping, surrounded myself with photos of, of my friend who had passed away, really had to get back into that headset and didn't have any time to second guess. You just have to be like, this is what it is. Um, and then three nights not sleeping, wrote it like that, sent it to someone to transcribe because I'm not, <laughs> I can't transcribe strings. Um, and he's a one, he like finessed it. He like, he's like an unspoken hero for me with the project. Cause he like takes it and goes, all right, but like, let's maybe octave this or make this harmonize a little bit better or something. Um, and then and then took it to my sound engineer who I work with on most of my, my songs. And we recorded it for three days with a quartet. Um, and we just had to create rules. And those things I love, like I love rules. I think to be creative, you need walls to push against. When there are too many options, it, it stifles creativity for me. Um, so we went in, we're like, okay, we've got four, we're gonna have a quartet and we're gonna have a piano. And the piano is gonna represent Aubrey's journey um and we're not going to do like midi effects on stuff we're going to keep it raw when we go into the signal we know we want to fuck something somehow so like me and the sound engineer talked about ways to do it organically so we found a spinning rotor inside an organ they would then revoice things through so when she's in the signal it sounds really weird and echoey and strange and that's all Mm. like organically done. and then for aubrey there's like a little video i think online somewhere posted of us doing some of this but there's um there's a we put the all of the piano was put onto cassette tapes and then we literally by hand uh, me and an assistant by hand like rubbed off the film off of the cassette tapes um in a certain so basically when the film starts if anyone's stupid enough to rewatch it pay attention to the piano And what you're going to hear is that the piano is really fucked and warbly at the beginning of the film. Mm -hmm. By the time you get to the end, it's going to sound much cleaner. And that's going to like represent Aubrey's journey, essentially. Um, So yeah, the film is kind of more rubbed off at the beginning than it is by the end. And it's just like these little things that for me, like only happen because you're like, we have to do this quick. We can't second guess. Um, You know, there's a point when she wakes up. spoil it but there's a point where she wakes up and there's a monster scare essentially. Mm -hmm. That's a more traditional jump scare that we don't have much of and the sound in that is one of my favorite things in the movie because it does this crazy thing and it goes like all over the place and then you can hear it sort of unspool itself and if you watch the video I post online it's because I broke the machine. We're in this beautiful (laughs) studio and I'm like hitting the tape as we're revoicing it and then I hit it too hard and all of the spool just like came off and like raveled (laughs) and as soon as we had that I was like you got that, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, I got that. I was like, we're fucking using that. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and those are my favorite bits. They're the bits of magic. You can, you know, plan that. Yeah, you things. can't,
2: you can't replicate that. That's like of the moment. And that's exactly. actually, that's wow. Amazing. So yeah,
1: so that's what we did. That's what we did the score and then we mixed it in two days and turned it in. So we got it done in the, in the, in the six eight days out of nine days. And, but it nearly killed me. And I'll be honest, that was like emotionally detrimental to me because I had to go back to that yeah. space of mourning and it took me months. Yeah. To kind of recover to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, so yeah but I don't know moving forward is like some of the stuff I'm working on now there's a band that I love desperately who have been really nice and reached out and said that mm. they would work with me on something I want to talk with them about could I maybe write some of the melodies and then they interpret it how they want mm. um and then there are other people like nicholas Brittell i'd fucking give anything to work with clint mansell i want oh, to like there are just yeah. certain people where you're like yeah you can do what you want <laughs> yeah you go, you go crazy i i trust you <laughs>
3: yeah. exactly.
0: well you would uh this this brought something up to me because you you mentioned the monsters in that moment and now i know a, a good deal of of what we talked about when we were talking about this about starfish was that idea of are these monsters literal or are they a figurative thing? Does it matter to you what, how people interpret that? Did you have a, an idea in your mind and, and just, you know, because people will take an idea and interpret it as they were. Do, do you, did you have a specific intention or is like whatever people want, like that's fine as long as they get into the journey?
1: So I'm, I you know, I I don't care how people interpret stuff other than one person who <laughs> got up in the QA and accused me uh, of being homophobic. Okay, which which is which they read the masturbation scene in a very strange way, and I was like, okay, I feel this says more about you than me because uh, everyone (laughs) else sort of turned and was like, what? Um, (laughs) because most people interpret the film in a very different way to do it, but anyway, which I don't think, which is not accurate either, to be honest. But anyway, um. It's for me. I don't mind how people interpret stuff. It Obviously, uh, it hurts if the message they come away with isn't the f- message that you want. Like, it doesn't have to be the exact message, but the feeling. Like, does something feel hopeful? Does it feel, you know, suicidal? Does it feel like what is the end flavor in your mouth? Um, but we like. <laughs> it, I don't think it's a film people would believe that's what <laughs> me with. But I we have a cheat sheet. It's, it's called the thirty six things that are that you have to be able to decipher from starfish. Um, which we made when we were re-editing because we did like two edits on it. Um, and had to like go through the comb to go like, all right, I was like, these are the things that I want that are important to me that are in the film. If people don't get it, that's fine. But it's important to me to know it's in the film. And it's important. I think it, for me personally, it's like, it's, it's bullshit if the writer and the director don't know everything. Like they should know everything, hmm. but it doesn't mean they have to tell you everything. Mm. Um, but you have to get the feeling when you watch a film that at least the world makes sense to somebody, even if it's <laughs> not to you. Um, and I'm a big fan of ambiguity, but that's a separator for me. So like, so for me, it's like, yeah, I know exactly what's going on in the film. <laughs> I know exactly what is real or what isn't and how the logical works. And again, stuff that sadly was cut out stuff. That was in the original script, like things that informed the lore of it mm-hmm. um, that I kind of wish we could have delved more into, because it was kind of fun. And, um, but yeah, I don't mind how people, how people interpret it. We just made the decision and we kept having a sort of mantra in, post, sorry, in pre-production for like six months of, because I work closely with the DP, like he helps me with stuff a lot. We've worked on a lot of projects together. And our mantra was just constantly, look, we're not trying to make, we don't want to make like a decent functioning horror or science fiction film. We wanted, we're want to. we more interested in making an interesting mess. That was kind of a mantra. It was like, we'd rather make something that was interesting but messy um, and was just honest and made you feel something. And obviously not everyone's going to, f- some people just feel angry. <laughs> and I've met those people. Um, but at least it makes you feel something, you know? And that was what we were more interested in doing. And if people want to interpret in their own ways, then that's great. Like, I think interpretation in art is always going to be subjective like the amount of music I've had a deep connection to and then years later you're like oh that wasn't what they were singing about at all but I've just brought myself to this because I needed something to identify with at the time and art you know it's communicative it's about helping people understand and feel less alone and so I wouldn't want to stop that at all as long as hopefully it's positive Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) sure people are taking negative interpretations then that's Worrying, but you can't do much about it. You know, For sure. There's a lot um, of people on on the internet. So. <laughs> yeah, you don't
0: because you you don't, yeah. don't want to be the guy in the in the Q and A who someone's asking a question. You're like, no, no, no. This is what it means, everyone. and Then all of a sudden, you demystify everything, and then it's like, ugh, okay, well, that's that's a different experience no. too.
1: Yeah. No. I'm. I. I yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, part of the joy is getting to watch people shouting at each other about that stuff a little <laughs> bit what may i tell you what though what, what did clarify to me was like when we did fantastic fest um the two things that made it like i'd had a terrible experience and i really thought we just made a terrible movie wasted people's money and time i was so upset and depressed about it um and then going to fantastic fest and i had a very personal experience with someone who had just buried their mother the week before and he like grabbed my arm and so i was walking into a different screening afterwards and he was like you you directed starfish right and i was like yeah and he just had tears in his eyes and said he'd just buried his mother and it was the, everything he needed to see right now um and that that was just like okay that was the moment where i was like okay this has all been worth it and then about a few days later someone came up to me outside at fantastic fest and they're like yeah i liked your movie i didn't love it um and then they and i was like okay well what did you you know what did you like like uh because i get along very well with the people who don't like my movie much <laughs> i've become close friends with those people I, res- <laughs> I respect them uh, but, but no I was like tell me like what's going on in the movie for you and they fucking got every better than anyone I've met since they got every single element of the movie yeah. like everything as it was meant to be in the original script that we didn't even get to shoot stuff that was edited out. they understood all of it and I, I had to like text my editor and it's like oh it's all there <laughs> most people aren't getting it but don't worry it is all there and it made me really happy to go like okay we haven't completely failed from ambiguity because it's yeah it's hard with ambiguity it can you we'd have to make it an art like david lynch where it's just like no this is always going to be a fuck you (laughs) and you're never (laughs) gonna know yeah that's that's wonderful
0: well when you talked about the 36 points i was even like i I was thinking of like because i think i don't know if it's in the the criterion release but i know on on the old dvd copy of mulholland drive david lynch has like oh, the yeah. 10 questions to ask yourself to figure out mulholland drive <laughs> you're just like this doesn't help fucking anything i'm still no. confused by this movie yeah <laughs> yeah it's all I meant to be he, yeah.
1: yeah exactly i think he just does that not to help clarify just to fuck with people even more. <laughs> oh yeah all <laughs> yeah. the
2: time like like i love when he's just like when someone asks him like oh uh, is this, does the film mean this is like uh, no well, can you tell me what it really means no Like, I'm not going to tell you, like, do what you want to do.
1: And and a lot of the time, I think the problem is, again, people like to speak in polar, you know, in Mm absolutes of this person's always nonsense or they always know what they're talking about. And it's like, no, it's like when you're a musician or you're a poet, you write stuff and sometimes you know what you're talking about and you're meticulous and sometimes you just feel it and you write it. And you don't even understand yourself. And then it takes the critics and the public to go, oh, this is what you were talking about. And it's like therapy. It's right. like open therapy to the world. And yeah. other people tell you what you made. And I've met plenty of directors who behind closed <laughs> doors have been like, that's not what I meant at all. But <laughs> apparently it is. And I think they're right because now I understand what I was talking about better. You know, wow. And that's part of that conversation with the audience is them telling you this is what you're talking about um and sometimes in a bad way because you know there are those films now where people are like oh this is bad messaging <laughs> and they're like yeah. oh i didn't mean i didn't know i was talking about that but i guess yeah maybe that's what i was accidentally feeling <laughs> at that point
0: i've i've, I've joked with a few people since i was in college just that idea of like you know you have blade runner you have ridley scott this like cyberpunk postmodern masterpiece and all and like just if you got ridley scott behind doors like yeah i didn't intend for any of that stuff so uh, you're all just reading too deeply into that yeah. like but also people have such attachment to things that like even even the creator saying like that's not what i meant it'd be like well it doesn't matter what you meant what it matters is what i what i got from it
1: exactly like i think it's a fascinating conversation that could go on for hours which does the intent matter? You know, does right. the intent matter? When you're bringing your own thing to a piece of art, like does mm. the intent matter at all? Um, and I don't know.
2: I think ultimately if people keep talking about your film, be it whatever way, you know, it, it gives it a new life, even like 10 years later, 15, 20 years later. Like to me, that's, at, at every filmmaker I've met, at least like, okay, at least someone's still getting something out of it. Like mm-hmm. even, and then something like you might even go, wow, I never even saw that at all. Like, I don't know how you got to that, to that thought, but I respect that because somehow you actually piece those things together in your own way, completely separate from my, my actual intent in general. But cause like, and, you know, again, trying to make films earlier in my, in my life, it's, it's always the kind of thing. Like I want to make films, you know, my thought was always at first, I want to make films that I like. You know, like that I only like. And then I realized not many people like the films I like. <laughs> you know, it's like you're making oh. too. Y- y- yes,
1: yes.
2: <laughs> Finally explaining where Jason Statham went in that movie. Um, but but then again, it's like one of those weird things. Like it's it's a it's a power struggle, like like you even said earlier. While you're making a film you want to make, you also have to think about the distributor and mm-hmm. the producers and what in a weird way they want, but like I mean, a good producer will say, do what you want to do, but at least make enough sense that I can actually sell this film.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. I think people from the obtuse stuff I've made, I think people would presume that I'm like all power for the creative. I'm not. Like, I think it's very... You need to have a balance and you need to be pushed against. And again, it's those, those walls. And arguably, I didn't have enough of that with Starfish. We were low budget enough that I managed to kind of just do whatever I wanted to. Um, which I'm very grateful for in a way, particularly on some of that personal. But for most yeah. movies, and particularly for whatever I do next, like part of it for me is proving no, I can tell a much more straightforward story while still being innovative or emotionally raw, you know. Right. Um, but I think there's a responsibility, like it's an industry. Like if you don't want to ever work again, then sure, don't give a fuck about distribution, <laughs> don't give a fuck about the producers and go and do what you want to do. And right. then you probably won't get many more chances. Um, but maybe, does that matter? Like, did you make the film you wanted to make and get out? Like, what else do you want from your life, you know? Right. Um, because, yeah, there's a problem with our industry of you just keep pushing the boat out more and more. It's like, I'm <laughs> never happy because you just want the next thing, the next thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think in a perfect film situation, it's harmonious. So the producers should only be behind the directors they have full faith in to begin with, which doesn't happen enough, uh, particularly in the studio world. Like they are hiring the, the director's, who they think are going to get them the headline they need of like, we've got the sensibilities of this indie director and we're going to put them on this huge fucking comic book movie. And it, Oh, isn't yeah. that exciting? But we're going to neuter them and then fire them in reshoots and then like bring in <laughs> someone else to finish that, you know, mm-hmm. as we heard again and again, particularly with star Wars and stuff like that. And it's, yeah. it's you should be hiring the people you have faith in to begin with. Um, right. And then as a director, you should be, again, that's what I mean you should be aware of, you should be considerate, but i shouldn't be your responsibility by that point. The producers should fight you on things. And in the best films, you know, the best ideas get through from both sides, you know. Because it is it's a collaborative art form. It's not it's very tricky. And I'm a bit most of my favorite fans are made by the people who wrote it, directed it, produced it, you know, did everything because it can be that personal. But that's not what the natural instinct to, oh sorry the natural format of the art form is the format of the art form is no this is collaborative with hundreds and thousands of people and you have to yeah you have to build that house together you know uh, so yeah, well, I don't know.
0: i'm i'm glad that we've that we've kind of gotten onto the, the topic of the interpretation versus intention thing because this is very specific to us obviously but we we are a podcast right. called The Cast of Cthulhu, which does come from like we we review movies that we've heard or believe are adaptations or inspired by that kind of stuff and yet <laughs> one thing that's that's continuously entertaining to me um, is we'll 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 watch a movie and then I'll be doing research taking notes and some filmmakers are just like we had no idea who the hell this guy was and it's just like oh cool okay so someone brought something to that so I I'm I'm very curious as to like for you specifically like you like the name Lovecraft like does it even mean anything to you and I specifically when from Starfish was there something there is it just or is this another case of people just be like cuz cuz it was referred to us by like by a, a guy who's been on our show before He's like dude if you like this stuff you got to go check out Starfish so like okay let's do that really yeah, that? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um
1: Lovecraft yeah, I, yeah, that was one of the first things I got asked. In, like a lot of Q and A's with people who are really into Lovecraft, and um, and I think we're far enough away from Lovecraft now that you're influenced by its influences. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, I've always known about Lovecraft, and it totally was the kind of thing that I would expect. I think I maybe read some when I was a teenager, but it's I like it's really faded from memory. Sure. Um, I think it's more that I was I've always, yeah, it's the inspiration from the inspiration. You know, sure. it's, it's the people who have sort of fought with it like the mist or gareth edward's monsters or just like these films where like you the fingerprints um are all over it but it's not necessarily stemming from his work um yeah and i've still never gone back and i haven't like (laughs) for me it's just yeah i really just think it's just like in with those sensibilities and maybe if i read his work i would key in better and (laughs) and have (laughs) more to say with it but um i've never read any lovecraft that i can remember um, but yeah, a lot, of, a lot of my favorite science fiction films definitely have what I, what I know, I love crafty Lovecraftian elements in there. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like people who play like Metroidvania games, but have never played a Metroid or a Castlevania game. It's just right. like the fingerprints now are so large. Yeah. Like, oh man,
0: I, I, I still keep looking for the next great successor to Mega Man, and haven't found it yet. That was always my jam as a kid with the Mega Man games. But. Really? Yeah. It was
2: too hard for me. You know, it's like. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, yeah, I was a, I was a Castlevania guy. Like I, I couldn't help it. Like you know, and Castlevania and Contra because the Contra was like alien to me. Contra is just, too hard. See that I you know what you get the, you got to do the code. The, yeah, but know? if you didn't, but,
0: <laughs> but if you didn't do that's the thing. It's I know, imp- I know. You're right. You're impossible right. without the code. <laughs> I know. Whereas you put me in front of Mega Man Two, I'll beat that thing no? sitting down. Like it's wow. you know, it's fine. Not standing up. this not <laughs> right. <laughs> Mighty number 9
1: wasn't your successor to Mega Man? That didn't fill the gap for you.
0: That's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it was, That was a while ago for that one. But anyway, <laughs> um, no, but Castlevania is pretty great. And the, the Netflix series is also highly recommended if anyone if, if anyone has not seen that one yet. Well, um, let's
1: just hang on just for yeah, one second. Yeah, yeah, How sure. fucking insane is it that there are about 500 video games being adapted to Netflix anime shows right now? It's <laughs> right? Insane. And just stuff where you're like, how is this the first way? Like, they're not even making games. No. And then, but this is, they think is a good idea. I mean, I'm very happy, but it's just this weird, like, it's like I fell asleep in all of the fanboy dreams. Like, I remember being, I remember when I was like, yeah, I was I was married previously, like that, obviously. And I remember like trying to get my wife to read Powers, uh, the comic book, and to read <laughs> The Walking Dead. And it was <laughs> back when no one knew about The Walking Dead, really. Like, right. It was like, yeah. and. And I was like, oh man, I'm so frustrated. If only they would turn these into TV shows, because then I know you would watch them and you'd get it. But no <laughs> one's going to read these, these comics that I want people to read. And that that was like the door opening. I mean, unfortunately, you know, as it's yeah. well documented, neither are as good as the comics. <laughs> sure, but, right. Um, right. But those were the doors opening of like, oh wow, we're in that era now where all those things, like, they're, they're trying to make a Thundercats live action movie. I mean, like, yeah. what is happening? Oh, it's geez. like everything I always wanted. <laughs> well, there's now going to
2: fuck it up. They're gonna fuck it up. Yeah, of course. Cause it, like and then the, the same thing with like there's two He Band shows now. I, I was mm-hmm. like confused. Someone's like, oh, Kevin Smith made one. I'm like, okay, I know that one. That's like, oh here's another trail. I'm like, wait, this wait, 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 what? There's, there's two, two
1: everything. Everything's in twos. It's like yeah. in twos. Oh yeah. Pinheads just, in twos. That's a whole like, lot everything's of... a TV show and a movie. And the movie, yeah. mm-hmm.
2: And the thing with the Chucky thing, it's even weirder because like Don Mancini is like, no, the TV show is like in my world, that other thing is its own. Because I don't own not, the he's I, not, yeah.
0: He's not involved in the movies. He,
1: not no,
2: involved, not, with, not not involved with the, the new film the where Mark Campbell, on. yeah, the, yeah, Mark oh, Campbell okay. version. So which but was the, the
1: first thing he's ever not been creatively really in charge of to do a
2: Yeah, which is oh. insane to me. Like he, wow. he just passed on that completely. Like, no, that's not what I no, that's not what I want. I because he's built a world now, like the Chucky, you know, multiverse <laughs> where where somehow it still makes sense if you watched them all, you're like, Oh yeah, yeah, they're still referencing. The yeah. films from the beginning that's pretty amazing for a horror franchise actually nowadays oh,
1: absolutely yeah it's it's, inc- it's insane like you've never had the same creator involved with all of it no. up until you yeah, up until that one film which i pretend doesn't didn't happen
0: to me i think um, everyone <laughs> everyone pretends that too from what i understand that the, the robocop remake everyone pretends Ooh. doesn't exist Ooh, The RoboCop yeah. remake, yeah
2: that, that, that's a shame that one but i'm not even
0: gonna well and, and go it, it's funny because you, you say like there's a movie and there's a tv show for everything like, and there's <laughs> there's also and this is I know started by Marvel and like James and I love the Marvel movies like everything is is an interconnected universe now too where that ha- that has to be the case and yet we still can't get the uh, the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash movie going. <laughs> no, but well, there's two comic books though so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You, get that.
1: you might have to let that one go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think
2: I think so Bruce Campbell's a little they a little can't even get now.
1: a Jason movie going.
2: I, yeah, it's that's been a whole twelve years. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah, right. Think about that. Twelve and now years. And then lawyers
1: walking up to Corey Feldman in fucking bar at parties, going, "Don't worry, I just figured out the like we've got it all sorted now, and they get, they can make Jason movies again because we finally figured it out." And there's no official announcement, and everyone's hanging on a fucking drunk lawyer walking up to Corey Feldman in <laughs> a party.
0: Which, which I'm also sure Corey Feldman's like, "Cool, what can you do about the whole you know sexual assault history thing? Like, what do you got going on with that, guys?" <laughs> oh, before we get right. to the- for <sighs> Corey,
1: as long yeah. as we can make Jason movies again. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. So that's my these are things as well as like people would come to the q a uh, for starfish and they're you know they just want to like to like if they've stuck around they're expecting a pretentious chat and that was before end game came out like the trailer the first trailer came out and i was like i would just sabotage every q a was like all right i just want to talk about Endgame predictions and, spend, and a bunch of people would literally just stand up and walk out as I said that and i was like cool now we have got rid of those fuckers listen i will just like get down and sit with people and we talk about all the predictions for ages i'm a huge Huge Marvel fan, and all that matters is that I got all of the predictions right for Endgame.
0: Oh wow! Okay, well done. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I the. I think I expected. I think one the the only th- prediction I, I remember making that didn't come true was I thought Captain America would die, because mm-hmm. um, I knew that Chris Evans' contract had run out, and as had Ro- uh, <laughs> Robert Stark, Robert Downey Jr.'s. Um, so I'm like, so they're both gonna die because you know they can't come back, and then they they didn't do that, which I. Yeah,
1: Yeah, Yeah, well, to be honest, they weren't my predictions. They were the things I hoped, and that's what amazed me even more. Like I really hope in the first act they kill Thanos. No, sorry, I can't do spoilers for Endgame. I feel everyone. (laughs) I think it's It's, fine. Yeah, I think it's it's fine. I was like, I really hope in the middle, like in the second act, they do time travel. I didn't want them to fucking do it to thaw the dark world, but whatever. And I really, (laughs) I really hope that by the end of the movie. Um, like, all I wanted was, like, and I was like, they've forgotten about this. They don't even seem to care anymore, but I was like, I just want him to turn up to that date, and that was what I wanted. I wanted yeah. it to be, a, like, a, like the Dark Knight Rises like moment at the end, and you just see Peggy, like, look up, and you see a look on her face of, like, oh, he's walked in, and he's he's used in and come back and, like, gone to that date. So we got a little bit more of that than I thought, and I definitely didn't think Thanos would come back again. That disappointed yeah. me, to be honest. I liked the finality of him just going and being like, now let's deal with the fallout. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's what. That's my biggest accolade for that movie is like they didn't do the things they thought they'd do. They did the things I wanted them to do. <laughs> it makes me so happy.
0: Well, that that leads me to a, a question: mm-hmm. if you if you got to direct a Marvel property, which Marvel property mm-hmm. would you want to direct? You're very good at stigwes.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've been doing this for a long time.
1: <laughs> um, my, I mean, my two my two boys that are very close to my heart, like I did. And I don't like talking about this too. <laughs> but I did a Spider-Man fan film um a long time ago now. Uh, so obviously Spidey. But the thing is what they're doing with Spidey isn't my I love Tom Holland. I love the Spidey films. I get great joy out of them um, more than I think most people do. <laughs> But I that's not my spidey. Like the Spidey I would do is like Tom McFarland's Spidey. He's like Mm. thirty years old. He's about to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. Like it's you know, like he's starting to ache a little bit. Like that's my Spidey. (laughs) So I wouldn't be allowed to do that. So in terms (laughs) of what could fit in the MCU, my other my other absolute favorite character is Daredevil. Um and I was so elated when they did a show that was Mm -hmm. at least half decent. Um yeah, no, here's like and the Bendis run on Daredevil is like one of the greatest comic yeah. books ever made and i just yeah i would i would give anything to do, do a <laughs> but i would want to do it like just more on location you know i'd want to do a less set some more location and make it which is not what marvel would want to do <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah sadly they, all they old green screen. everything yeah and everything has to be like you know plates for everything so you can redo it later and stuff and like i wouldn't I would probably struggle with that. But I would find a way, Marvel, if you're listening. I'll figure it out. <laughs> the devil, I would.
0: I, I don't want to squash your hopes entirely, but i to say temper your expectations about anyone from Marvel listening to our podcast. But we never, you never know. You never, never know now. what can happen.
1: It could uh, be big tentacle fans. Yes. Well,
2: the What If episode, you know, had, had yeah, tentacles you know, at, at the, the
0: end. First, yeah, James sent me a message afterwards like, there's a tentacle in the first What If episode. Maybe we should do an episode about it. And I was just like... <laughs> Asshole. You're just reviewing
1: any. Is that where you got to now? Anything that's got a single tentacle. <laughs> it's it's kind of. You are going to review old boy. It's oh, yes. <laughs> oh
0: jeez. It, it's it's the joke. Mm. It's a joke that we have because that seems to be the case in so many quote unquote Lovecraft adaptations uh. or Lovecraftian films. Is that yeah. people are like, there's a tentacle in it, so clearly it's Lovecraftian. It's like you know, no. tentacles existed before the guy came around, right? Like yeah. <laughs> he did not invent these things.
1: No, did not.
2: <laughs> or, or, or we'd be covering a lot of like Legend of the Overfiend or something like that like some hardcore anime just like, like, and, yeah. yeah oh geez, you know like or Wicked City you know it's like ooh okay
1: fun. And one of my first anime movies was Yurochusuki. When they came to England <laughs> when manga like released really VHS in England it was it was Akira Venus Wars mm-hmm. okay. uh, The Wing, the Winds of Honi Amis, which is a weird like post-apocalyptic one it's and Yurochusuki right. Doji <laughs> which i took great pride in learning how to pronounce at that age <laughs> um i'm always fucked up when you're a kid
3: <laughs> yeah yeah it's, a lot of and them are when you're a kid
1: and you've never seen animation like it's just now i think generate like everyone's got it easy because they grow up seeing <laughs> anime and knowing mm-hmm. oh there's adult mm-hmm. cartoons out there right when you were like you know a formed kid, and you've like grown up watching American and sort of you know <laughs> Western, just like fun cartoons, and then right. you see your first anime that's rated eighteen.
2: It's well, yeah. I I, I mean, I'm I'm of the age that I was doing um, buying tapes of like actual like you know subtitled like someone actually subtitled themselves shows from you know Japan like, and I would like buy these tapes like they were always on orange cassette tapes which was really weird. And like, (laughs) and like, Oh, three for $20. And it was like the greatest deal. Cause I'm like, I'm watching this show, but I would try to explain it to other friends. And they'd look at me like, uh, I don't care. Like, like, what, what are you watching? What is this stupid crap? (laughs) (laughs) You know? And it was like a lot of it were like relationship ones that would have violence out of nowhere. You're like, Oh, okay. This is, this is really weird. It's like a drama. Like uh, I'm like, and I'm like 11 watching this at the same time while also obsessing over batman the animated series so it's like which you know like you know my favorite show of all time and it's like oh okay this is what animation could be and then like you know seeing what you like most animation was just like kitty stuff which Mm -hmm. you know they would try to throw some stuff in there for the adults but yeah, just this you...
1: flavor. Like my mom left me watching Akira at the beginning. She was oh, actually fine. And then she right, walked right. out and then came back in at the scene where, <laughs> like, where Tetsuo and his girlfriend, just getting beaten by some bikers. Oh, There's no oh, music. Geez. And then her top gets ripped, ripped off yeah. as if they're going to rape her. And my mom was like, What the fuck is that? <laughs> like, what are you watching? They still let me keep, continue watching it. So, That's <laughs> yeah. what that was. Oh, right, just just right. because some people are going to be listening and screaming right now, I want to correct myself. It was Wings of Honi Amiz, but it was Winds of Amnesia. Oh, the two names up. Some you got one listener who's just like you're fucking asshole. (laughs) Yeah. Well, actually. actually, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Deleting that tweet and they're like, this asshole corrected himself. Yeah. Oh man, Akira was such. a... That was a. Yeah, that was. That, especially for me as a, and I'm I'm not proud of this, but like as a, a hmm. young horny teenager that's like there's going to be nudity in this anime and oh, then you turn it around it's like. Young and
1: horny. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well, what a concept. You're allowed, you're allowed to be young and horny. I
0: think well, like, but, but, but seeking out animation for that specifically is like, yeah. then you start getting the niche starts getting a little bit more specific. <clears> um, <throat> yeah. And then, and then watching and me like what. What is this, and and just having no idea, and just that climactic scene when Tetsuo is transforming into whatever the fuck, and just like, and just kind of yeah, like, okay, this helps was... you, buddy. are well, the judge. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> whatever your kink is, it's okay. Oh,
1: you know. Well, <laughs> is that why the podcast exists? Is this where it started? <laughs> with, with the, the finale material no, no,
0: was an awakening.
1: Yep.
2: No, that's where it went. That's where it's gone now. <laughs> it didn't start. It didn't start this way.
0: <laughs> We've officially gotten to all the. I mean, that's the thing. He, he, you know, he died relatively young. There's only a few direct adaptations, so we have to branch out, and so of course you you get to Akira, and then you keep going back to Akira, and, <laughs> and you know, things like it. But um,
1: yeah, luckily, you got Color Out of Space, and you know, like, people are still doing it, like So yeah, yeah, yeah. But... Of course,
0: um, and you know, Barbara Crampton just launched her uh, her her Lovecraft cinematic universe which so Castle, Castle Fruit, Fruit, which we have not. We'll, we'll get to eventually. We have not gotten to that one, but. Um, yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the the kind of I don't want to say challenge, but that's the thing is like part of this has become kind of fun detective work in a sense like, hey, mm-hmm. this one's described as lovecrafty, and let's check it out and kind of see. and mm-hmm. and even like you said, that idea of like, what can we derive it? Like, okay, well, this is really cool. This part didn't work, but this is also like, you know and and there have been some have been some gems. we we were we were on board for the empty man a little bit before the empty man bandwagon stuff started happening. Mm-hmm. But we were like, oh my God, this movie is great. Why can't more people be talking about that one? And now more people are talking about that one. Now, so that's now great. Now
1: arguably too many people are talking right? about yeah. it. Right, <laughs> sure, yeah. It these, well. are the, these are the films which is like, it's weird when you champion something. Like, what no one's talking about? This. this is actually a good movie and it's got some cool ideas and stuff. And it's right. interesting. And then suddenly... And I love it. It's one of the things I love about the horror verse is like suddenly when people embrace it, they really embrace it. But then like, this is the greatest movie. Like, well, all right. And then I find myself being the person who seems like they don't like it's, something. And right. Like, no, I was the one champion. But you've all gone out of control now.
2: <laughs> I think it's it's that. It's that. And also when they get a quote from like a, a famous filmmaker, like, William Friedkin will say, "This is the greatest horror film I've ever seen." It's like, mm-hmm. did he actually say that, or did he say that like in context to something else? But they just took that little little quote and put it up on their yeah, horror movie. You're it like,
1: was overheard, L.A. And yeah, like- <laughs> yeah. Like
2: and William Friedkin was just talking about a bunch of films he just likes that he likes now, and you're like, is that the greatest? And again, I'm I'm in the same mind. Like I can see like greatness, or at least like something great in like even the worst of films. But like when it comes to like that'll stop me from watching films that'll stop me from watching something right away because like when everyone is like just going crazy you're about crazy something right. like yeah. to the point of like where you're like is this just like some weird collective like insanity that's like gone like
1: you don't get a voice with it anymore because they've decided what you have to be feeling about right it. And, it, and it's
2: happened before where i've gone into a film that has that kind of like that push and then i'm like well, i liked it but i didn't like it that much and then I, I and then it's a weird thing when you start to go did I see what I did? Did I see the same film they saw? Mm-hmm. And then again, we're talking about intent and like and all that stuff. And it all kind of circles back. But well, I liked it. but I'm not going to go around screaming to the heavens, and then when you meet someone who goes, "Oh, you, oh, it's great," and you go, "Yeah, it's good. I liked it." Like, what are you talking about? And they start going at you, and you're like, "Wait." okay
1: everyone just wants to be again which i'm awful let's be angry and let's shout at each other but in a fun right. way in a fun way yeah <laughs> cool. just having fun it's just movies It's just opinions everybody's wrong <laughs> and everybody's right like yes it's just so stupid and great and wonderful um <laughs> but everyone just takes it so seriously like there's I've had to learn not to say. I used to be like, look, I'm an open book. I want to say stuff. Like, I'm not like being mean to anyone. If I don't right. like a director, I don't like a director. That's okay. Yeah. I had to learn to stop saying people's names. So I'm not going to say people's names. Right. But it was like a director who I was championing for quite a while. And people just weren't seeming to notice enough. And I was like, this person's like really making some cool films. And people should talk about this. And then became huge. And everybody, it's just like this person. And they talk about them in the same way. Like sentences is like masterful, like directors from history. You know, like huge. And I'm like, wow. And now they force me to be the person who's like, who sounds like I hate this director. Like, it's not true at all. I think they make really decent work, <laughs> but uh, and like some with some really cool moments. But they're not right. fucking like a master. A, yeah. It's, it's, you know, I, I, yeah. And that's
2: a hard thing to a master, like. Who's a you know, and again, it's opinion. Who who is a master? But there are you know filmmakers that most people. But again, like I know people that look at Martin Scorsese and go, "Oh, he just makes gangster films." You go,
0: "What?" My my wife. Are my you watching? Huh? My, oh. my wife says that. Oh, he's my favorite director, and I have to not argue with her. Okay. Well, we'll. well okay then. I, I see. I did not know that. So that's even
2: more awkward. Sorry about that.
0: No. It, no. It's <laughs> in it's, and, and so and you know we 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 agree and we disagree on, all, on all, all sorts of different things it's it's very interesting to me i will say watching some movies with her because she'll have one perspective like oh shit i never considered that before like yeah that's that's really interesting um
1: yeah, I've, I've never been like that into gangster films but i can respect them you know when they're well made right. and um yes yeah, because was one of those people for me but yeah i've watched like a few of his films over the last few years with mostly it is and I don't like like to be gender specific with it but mostly it does seem to be women who are like going oh, there's some this is some terrible messaging going on and the stuff they're celebrating is terrible and I'm like yeah you're not wrong at all like yeah, I <laughs> yeah. Agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the movie so watch something else i guess <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah no it's it is it is very interesting um yeah i don't know i i i don't now I, I don't really have a segue for this one, but there's just one. Fucking, I was
1: like, this is one. The I, I was waiting for one, it. You fell on your face. No, there's Come just,
0: on. I was my, the gears were turning. <laughs> there was nothing coming up, but I do just have one, one more actual prepared question that I I, I want to ask you, because this was another thing when we were, when James and I were discussing Starfish, the one thing that, that I, I was trying to kind of work out in real time, but when it came to, and I don't want to be the guy that's like, please explain this to me, mm. but <laughs> I was. Then I don't re- then
1: Don't be that guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll more ask like what what you were feeling when you were making it because when it came to the conclusion of Starfish I was getting conflicting emotions because like as you said even the Cigaro song it's such a beautiful like evocative song and moment but it uh, textually the moment is also her bringing about the end of the world by getting the mixtapes together and so my for what were you thinking about that when it came to like what you're so like, hoping... so what were you thinking? <laughs> and, and, and see here's the thing. Now, uh, now 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 that's now that's gonna be on the poster for Starfish like Jim Owner, what, what were you, were you thinking?
1: thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you talking to the creator or the person who's going in to see the movie?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, what was I thinking? with the, sorry please finish
0: i and know and just and, and or, or even like hoping for to to kind of for people to evoke from that because you even said like you know you're you're fine if people interpret things different way as long as what they're as long as the you know there's kind of an emotional truth there so i wanted to hear more about that moment from you because i that was that was really one of the moments of the film where i'm like i i can't tell i can't really tell what i feel from this because like it's the fruition of this journey which uh, as we've been told is sort of bringing her about the end of the world but it's such a beautiful moment too. And my, for me personally, it was like the, how do I reconcile those two things? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, you put me in a weird spot because I did always have the role that my producers wanted and even my sales agents and myself, where it's like, we will never tell people what they should be feeling when we mm-hmm. leave the movie. Um, but then recently, just last week, I was, i very lucky and I just did a interview for um, this wonderful documentary that's happening uh, about mental health and horror and mm. the connection of how oh. horror can help people with mental health. oh cool which are you nothing know, yeah you know I might have seen it online like there's quite a lot of, yeah it's a kickstarter stuff. for it right i think yeah it's really yeah. cool it's a yeah. really great project um yeah and, and i just did an interview for it and i for that i was like this is a good enough cause and they asked me something to do with that and i was like you know what i'm going to talk about the ending and what i feel for what for me it represents I don't know if they're going to leave that in the edit yet. (laughs) So so part of me is like, well, I've already talked about it, so I could talk more about it. Um, I mean, I think that's very valid. Like if you come out and say you don't know how you feel about it, um, it's going to sound pretentious, but the ending was kind of designed to be a bit of a Rorschach test in terms of like you get out Mm -hmm. of it, what you're bringing to what your relationship is to those things. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I don't agree. I don't think it's responsible um, to have happy endings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a, and I don't think it's responsible, you know, to have miserable endings either. But I think hope is a wonderful thing, um, and I think for me, that's a much more long-standing form of a happy ending. Like a happy ending could just be like, "Oh, you met this person, said they love you too. Oh, everything's great. They're gonna fucking break up with you in a couple of years." <laughs> um, <laughs> But you won't know because the end credits happen. But right. it's, it's like no, but hope. Like, what do you learn about yourself, and how do you learn to like interact with the world and other people in a way that that's healthier um, and making the most of your time now? You know. Um, so I mean, you know, the whole film is obviously about looking back. It's obviously about someone who's haunted by things that have scarred them, and they're finding it very difficult to move forward. At first, physically, they just can't even leave an apartment, and then later emotionally or just gradually trying to piece literally piece things together so that they can uh not move on because move on is not a term i believe in like when someone dies like you never yeah. stop mourning for them They mm. you know, that sticks around for the rest of your life um and smaller versions of that it's not just about people you know someone breaks up with you like there's a part of that that stays with you but there's a beautiful part of it too and it's right. just wonderful that you ever had that relationship um with something that mattered and it's wonderful that you ever knew that person who passed away um and for me, the ending, <clears throat> I'm very carefully dancing around it, uh, the ending is her having that realization of, of, which I think is why I wanted to like as genre, it made so much sense because in genre, you know, like in a hero's journey in a movie, I just had a conversation with someone about this last week, who's writing a script. Normally, in a movie, it's enough. Like, you get to the end, so like your character has to have learned something, they have to evolve. And then, normally, that's shown in a successful thing. It's like they try at the end of the second act, they fail, they're defeated, right. they come back again, try again in a different way, in a healthier way, and they succeed. And then we exit the film with them having grown. Uh, the thing with horror is we don't like happy endings in horror that much. <laughs> so, right. to do that, you have to be smarter. You have to be like, well, they tried it again, and maybe they did succeed, but not in the way they expected, you know? Right. Um maybe they had to die so someone else would live. Or maybe, you know, like there's a sacrifice that has to be made so that your expectations can be subverted with horror in order to have that gut punch, you know. And good horror does that really well. Bad mm. horror does here's your happy ending. And then here's someone jumps out. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good horror is like, no, you're still left feeling unsettled at the end, but it didn't fuck up the emotional journey you're talking about. Mm. Um and that in no way is me saying what I did was good horror because I don't see my film as even a horror film. <laughs> but it plays with those genre tropes of, yes, you get to the end. She feels completely, again, for anyone who's seen out I'll totally spoil it, but there's a moment of great defeat when it should be the moment of victory. Um, but for me, that moment of defeat, what's really important is like, okay, you think things got bad, you try it again. Sometimes it gets worse. <laughs> but through that, like for me, it's about finding peace and catharsis and misery. misery um, and that doesn't mean embracing misery that doesn't mean get stuck in misery but it means that that is a doorway to things that can be so much healthier for you mm-hmm. um, and that's very very literally what the ending of the movie is um because it literally ends with her going into a doorway essentially and having right. to be brave enough uh to be well i have no idea what's on the other side of this this could get a lot worse it could get a lot better i don't know um and but yeah we have to be brave enough to keep taking those chances and not lock ourselves away behind the door and hide and then fucking covid happens and you got no choice and yeah
2: and it's funny because when jim and i decided to cover this one um while watching it, it it resonated in a different way at least to me and i know i think to jim as well uh, with the whole pandemic and, and everything too like someone like almost like stuck in this place and can't leave because there's infected people outside you know there's something outside that's like Mm -hmm. scary and like I'll be honest like the first few weeks of the pandemic like you know I did not leave like and I and at the time I was I was quote unquote stuck at my girlfriend's apartment and I'm like I don't know how to get back to my parents without like because the trains weren't right you know there's all this like crazy stuff and uh, it reminded me of that But again, I think I think, you know, on our podcast, I tend to resonate with not necessarily dark it like I don't want to always say that dark endings, but like not happy endings. I like a good ending that goes that makes you think, oh, wow. It's not all good, but ultimately like Aubrey, I think, you know, at the end, she's accepting that. And I think the acceptance is what resonated with me, like where even though it's the end of the world, I think I even joked with Jim about that. Like I'd have to listen to the, but again, I don't listen to our old podcast because I can't stand the sound of my voice. Nope. Don't like it. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think like I was even like through it all. She's okay with that now. Like she's okay with like, you know what? I tried and I tried again. And I, that's more than I was doing in the beginning of the film. In the beginning of the film, I could not do anything. I was, I was like just closed off to the world. And like, her trying to do this piecing together of this puzzle of these mixtapes. And ultimately it's, you know, if you want to take it as the end of the world, well, at least I tried, nobody else was doing anything about it. And, you know, and I kind of like resonate with that where through through the, the darkness of it all, she tried to be more than like what she was in the beginning. And like, again, and that, that is a hero's journey. It doesn't have to, like you said, it doesn't have to be, <laughs> yay, everything's good. The, like, like the world's yeah. saved
1: no like, no we like i think again people would think that it didn't and thank you for, i don't know i'm happy that those plan. are some of the things you took from it. uh particularly because again yeah you watch that movie and some other films i've seen recently under the covid veil and yeah you can't help but interpret them differently mm-hmm. um yeah i think i mean i i write everything from a hero's journey and again my next films are going to be more simple but um but Heroes journey is very much at the root of Starfish, but mm-hmm. we do fuck with it twice, and that makes you know that makes it all like the point where normally she should leave at the end of the first act, and instead she goes nope and just like shuts right. everything up and stays inside, <laughs> and that's very dissatisfying for people because you expect okay, here's where we see someone take charge and take an action, and she does, but not in the way you wanted to, um and for most people like that, it's just funny when I meet people who are writing and they're just like, oh, I didn't want to break all the rules. And it's like, I was the same. I always wanted to break all the rules. But you only break one rule and it feels like you broke a million of them <laughs> because they're so <laughs> integral to how movies are made. <laughs> and then, yeah, we slightly break it again at the end because then you have the resolve and that should all feel positive and like, oh, this worked. And instead... Uh, it's the ring ending, essentially. Of like, yeah. You did what with her body? Oh, no. <laughs> Which was honestly like, that was like, I was struggling with the ending, and then I knew what I wanted the messaging, and I couldn't quite figure it out. And that's literally like, I lifted, no one's picked up on this, but I lifted that line that said over the radio from the ring there's like there's a from what her kids saying, <laughs> oh, okay. i know right. i want that moment of just like no you fucked up <laughs> well, yeah you, think <laughs> you did the right thing you think all of the things you've been trying to do to fix things were right but sometimes you can't fix stuff the way you think you have to you have to just give over to it and just realize no this is life it's messy it's painful and that's okay um and that for me is my hardest thing with writing stuff is trying to write things responsibly you know because I do think it's a responsibility and I do think there are certain words we don't have long enough for all this, but there are some words that I just don't think we should be using anymore. And I don't think people should feel uh, that they, uh, I mean, I think the word happy is kind of poisonous to be honest. Like there's this thing of joy and there's this thing of like growth and there's, there's a thing of feeling calm and peaceful um, that actually matters and actually helps you for years. Feeling happy is normally, Oh cool. I got drunk tonight and I felt like happy for a moment. It's like, yeah, but you didn't actually, you don't actually feel happy you were distracted from it and that's fine like i'm not right. saying there's anything bad with that there's right. nothing wrong with being distracted at all um but i think this expectation for a happy ending uh, is something that we kind of poison our children with mm. and then we grow up trying to figure out why am i unhappy all the times because everyone told you that you're meant to be happy but look at the other animals in the world. How many of them are fucking disgruntled because everything's not just quite right the way that they want it and they don't quite have that partner and they don't like, it's like, no, you just, this this fucking life that is messy and enjoy that. You know?
0: Well, this has been fantastic. I think I can, I can, yep. I can speak on, on behalf of James of that too. Uh, oh I'm, yeah, definitely. We, we won't keep it too much longer, I, I, but you, you've teased it a little bit. So I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about the stuff you got coming up Specifics, uh, if you can get into specific about projects or just greater no. things but what, what what do you what do you got coming up on the horizon
1: oh, bleh, 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 bleh. Um, <laughs> i know it's like you know what yeah yeah <laughs> mm. um i don't know like i've got it i mean it's a weird covid has been so weird for the industry you know that I know so many. It's almost more detrimental to have something green like going into COVID because then it gets postponed and then everyone's bored about it um, mm-hmm, now that right. they're finding ways to shoot with vaccinations and stuff, which is wonderful. Um, not convinced it's not going to affect the industry again sometime soon. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I have, to, I mean, I'm in that weird position right now where honestly, like I have three features that I might be shooting next year, oh, nice. which would awesome. be incredible, and then I'll die. <laughs> uh, because I could barely handle doing one in a year. <laughs> um, And they're in various forms of, one something that I haven't written, but I've helped develop since I got like the script. Uh, one is a smaller film that's almost starfish level of money, to be honest, but I was, I have like 100% control over. Mm. And another one's the thing that I really want to do next, which is my kind of baby, uh, which is kind of like my it follows, I guess. It's okay. kind of like um and we're getting like good like work on all three but we're also at that point where it's just like you could suddenly do none you could be directing three things next year or nothing <laughs>
2: yeah yeah we, yeah <laughs> really.
3: yeah
1: um so yeah like we're, it's a crucial thing over the next few months getting finishing the financing and getting costs attached, and then seeing what happens but um but yeah i'm like i'm losing my mind as most Creative people I know, like most directors I know, are just like I can't do it. I can't sit on my hands for another year. Like I just can't. I have to mm-hmm. make something. um But yeah, doing that responsibility is tricky. It really is.
3: Very true. So
1: I hope. I hope that's what I'm doing. I mean, I'm doing some other stuff as well. Like I've, I've got. I'm working on my third album, and I've got a photo book with sort of journalistic entries from the last few years because I drive a lot. Like I'm saying, doing road mm-hmm. trips, right. and I document it in photos and um yeah that deals a lot with isolation as well and other happy stuff um and i'm trying to like that's hopefully going to get a small publish publishing done um yeah i've been keeping myself busy during covid but who knows knows?
0: (laughs) well that all sounds wonderful uh and so yeah i just wanted to i mean thank you for giving us your time thanks for having the conversation thanks for letting me be that guy and be like can you explain (laughs) this to me please you know, can, you, can you feed this to me please yeah it little...
1: was appropriately obtuse with my answer but yes also it, really yeah you
0: you told you told that line perfectly that was wonderful so <laughs> um, i haven't
1: had to talk about the film in so long As i thought he said to my my girlfriend before i came on here i was like oh fuck they're gonna want to know about starfish and i haven't even thought about that in so long <laughs> 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 that i was like i don't know how to do these <laughs> phrases you know <laughs> yeah, but honestly like i love i could just hang out and chat with you both all day to be honest and just get more into junk up into movies and...
2: definitely Hey, um, yeah. Actually, before we go, w- w- what's your least favorite John Carpenter film?
1: Mm. Me?
2: Yeah, yeah. What's yours? Yeah, like right the, on, the one right that you are right like. On. I I don't want to watch this shit.
1: <laughs> Jim, do you have an answer? While I, I'm gonna. Up his. I want to make sure. Yeah. I'm remembering all of his. Right, right, right.
0: Uh, I haven't seen *Memoirs of Invisible Man*. So, but that, is that the one with Chevy Chase? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, um, I, <laughs> That's a that's a big reason why I don't like that film. I I can't I can't say least favorite but i i will say well i'll give two answers because i like to hear myself talk um (laughs) probably the ward i think is is you know the last one not very good the one that i will say i don't like nearly as much as everyone else likes Mm. is escape from new york it's fine to me like i I,
2: I, I was gonna say because i have my uh escape from the New York poster right
0: there. <laughs> it's But it's okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's it's not okay. it's not bad. It's just the one that like if I'm if I'm in a group of people that are like you know, yeah, yeah, I am always going to be the one that's going to be the most tepid on that basically. Okay. Fair
1: enough. Um so this is a thing we can we can cover this. We are just like Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, the shoot this is just shit. This is just No, no, we can talk we can talk about. It. You can keep it if you want. but I'm going to go on for a minute cuz I, <laughs> I I had the thing with um with the yeah, the Masters of Horror where I used to just be like, you can't say this, but they all made like one or two good films. Like, I was honestly just like, most of them, you know, when you're talking about Wes Craven, mm-hmm. you're talking about Toby Cooper, you're talking about, yeah, John Carpenter. I used to go to these people and be like, okay, if they're lucky, like John Carpenter made, in my opinion, two masterpieces, which are 10 out of 10 films with The Thing and Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: I'll agree with that. And I fucking
1: love it. And Wes Craven, you know, was a highly intelligent, elo- eloquent man. And I love A Nightmare on Elm Street, but I don't know how many other great movies he really made. like Honestly,
2: I no, you know, I mean, I I love I love I love his films, but th- are they master? Like, you know, like I I can appreciate Shocker, but that's not a masterpiece by no. far.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, having fun yeah. like, look, having an emotional response to join might be completely different. But like, in terms of like, this is a great piece of filmmaking, no. a master filmmaker. No, it's like me, Toby Hooper, I feel the same way. Like most of what he did is shit. Yeah, like you yeah,
2: know, Texas are Massacre is that's a masterpiece. Yes. but I think with him, and while I love his films, it's diminishing returns with him like he makes the greatest like film ever and then every film could not reach to that plateau like he just kind of went down well, even though they're, they're fun texas, you know
1: texas is like very particular like it needed yeah. that low budget it needed the, like that youthful energy of how they did it like yeah it, it mm-hmm. works because of his skill with it but also slightly not yeah. fluke but you know just circumstance as well you know yeah um,
3: yeah
1: i mm. when covered so life force yeah right? sorry yeah. No.
2: No, I'm saying we covered Life Force, and that's like such a a batshit movie, but 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 it's like, and he's swinging for the fences, but it's like, is it well directed? Like, you know, that's another thing
1: for the young horny Jim that we're yes,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, ah, Matilda May. Uh, Listen, if there if there's not a, a giant nebulous thing at the end of it then it's not for for young horny jim um
1: yeah i was talking about the dehydrated bodies not the naked <laughs> <one>. <laughs> right right right. <laughs> i'm getting an idea for what you're into but the so junk carpenter was someone who, are like i um came back to and i like it made me really happy to go back to more and more of his work i know he did like maybe sure for me there are only two masterpieces but mm-hmm. like a lot of really admirable work mm-hmm. um and he's actually not directed that much as well so it's not easy to like like Dark Star for me is, you know, it is what it is. It's a college <laughs> film. To me, it's, it's a college yeah, film that's
2: yeah. that you know, with Dan it's a, O'Bannon. It's like, oh, okay.
1: It's cool. a beach ball on a set. And like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I really enjoy like just the music. I get that uh, music yeah. in my brain yeah. quite often, and I'm a huge Night of the Living Dead fan. So I'm like, mm-hmm. cool. Let's just do Night of the Living Dead. And please say Halloween 100%. masterpiece. Someone's yeah. watching me. I don't think I've ever seen that one. I think that was a TV, was that a TV movie or? Yeah, he did yeah. TV that and then Elvis, those were Elvis. TV ones. Yeah, I right. don't think I've seen someone's watching me. Uh, the Fog, I really, so again, I've covered some of these on my on my podcast, but like the first half legitimately of The Fog for me is as good as Halloween. Yeah. And then it goes too goofy in places where I still have a great time with it as a midnight <laughs> movie, but it's not right. like the masterpiece, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of with Jim, like I never really got Escape from New York like it was, it's just not for me. There's something about it that's like, I think it's a good movie, but it's just not for me. The thing, yeah. masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christine's really good. Like yeah, i went back and I was like, wow, it's a really good movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the best <laughs> Stephen
2: King adaptations by far.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's all, and that's a stupid premise. So like, well done to him for <laughs> right. making that work. That's like that's like similar to like yeah, just having a toaster come to life or something. It's just really uh, Starman. God, I haven't seen that in ages. I remember like. Again, it's not what you'd expect from John Carpenter, but I thought it was a good right. movie. Yeah, I fucking look. I know it's not okay
0: too, but I fucking love Big Trouble in Little oh, China.
2: Oh, I adore Big Trouble. Yeah, I love that film so much.
0: <laughs> it's it's that's another one that I I don't love as much as other people do.
2: It's okay, too.
1: <laughs> but it's just like
0: well, but but I will say what I make what I make up for it is that I I love Prince of Darkness a lot more than people like people are like eh, well, it's like flawed it's okay I'm like no this movie is fucking great I don't know if you realize this but.
1: Yeah. i don't realize it i don't <laughs> <laughs> um, i always want to that's when i always go back to it. Right. this will be like the fog vibes to me i was like nope i just don't like it uh they i mean they live as they live like how yeah. can you separate it from <laughs>
2: <laughs> rodney piper you know. <laughs> what it is
1: Memoirs of the Invisible man yeah i remember watching that once and being like nope <laughs> that's what it's like
0: no i can't watch this again
1: I don't like his segment in Body Bags, but I just don't. Li- I don't like horror anthologies. That's just the personal thing for me. I don't huh. like him. Um, That's fair. I, but I don't that. like short films. Okay. Just mm. there are exceptions, obviously, but I just don't like. it. Village of Damned wasn't good. Escape yeah. from L.A. wasn't yeah. good, but it's so dumb it can be fun. Yeah. John Carpenter's <laughs> *Vampires* has like one of the greatest lines I remember at the end. Um, oh, I, I forgot remember. about that movie. What's yeah. that line where he's like up on the stake and he like? There's something so funny in that film that used to kill me. <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. I'm sorry, but you're crazy. It's a terrible movie.
0: Oh, it's terrible. But <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you and Did Sam Zimmerman you... are, are big fans of Ghosts of Mars, James. I don't really. Yeah, um,
2: good to know. I have something in common with Sam Zimmerman
0: Or or maybe it's not Sam's. Maybe it's someone someone that you that wrote, writes for a uh, birth movie's a... death. But there there's oh. someone. There, there's a little bit of a movement to recapture Ghosts of Mars that I think we need to we need to stop dead in tracks. <laughs>
2: Well, what about in the mouth of madness? What do you think
3: about
1: that one? Oh, in the, oh yeah, I skipped that one, didn't I? Um, I remember quite. I haven't been back to that one. I remember finding stuff in there that I liked. Yeah,
3: that's a fun
2: one. That that's a, that's a Lovecraft pastiche. That's his like mm-hmm, love yeah. for Lovecraft in that one by yeah, far.
1: Yeah, I remember. I like yeah Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I might need to go back to that. It's been a while since I saw that one. it's what I'm. It's it's worth
0: it's worth relooking. Uh, that's, yeah. a, that's a that's a that's a real fun one. Um, yeah. I don't know. And, and even the stuff like Escape from New York, Assault on Precinct 13, and I think a few of his other movies, I think I could find more of a resonance with them if you were to tell me not that it's satire, but it's him kind of... Because the only way that I can really make sense of of uh, Escape from New York and Assault on Precinct 13 are... Because John Carpenter was a man that hated basically hated humanity. Him and Rod Serling are like, no, mankind is, is awful. Um, so if he's kind of being satirical in the sense of like hey this is not what urban life is like but because that's what you believe i'm going to push it back in your face as like kind of a hyperbolic thing Mm -hmm. i can kind of get on board for that um otherwise yeah i think it's there though but um yeah Yeah. because otherwise it's like i don't know i mean the
2: little i mean the little girl with the ice cream scene like in the assault like come on that's just him like having fun like how, how much can i push you Uh Oh, I have a little girl dying in the first like ten minutes of my film. Oh shit! Okay, this is an opening
1: sequence. is so fucking funny. I always forget that that's there every time I start the movie. I'm like, you forgot
2: the sprinkles? Like
0: what? (laughs) There's a there's a a podcast that I listen to called Blank Check, which um the the premise is basically like they follow a filmmaker's filmography where it's sort of like you know someone who you know had had a real big hit and then you know they they got a blank check to kind of do whatever they wanted throughout their career, kind of a thing. Um, and so they've recently started Carpenter. I only like to listen to the episodes of the movies I've seen, so they started with Dark Star, which I have not seen, but they just did Assault on Precinct Thirteen, and I guess they were saying that when that when that premiered, it like opened on the same weekend that Martin, that George Romero's Martin, uh, opened, and George Romero saw it and he's like, "Fuck! Now that that guy's done that, I have to step my game too. Like I, I have to raise the stakes too, because mm-hmm. there's this thing in the horror community where it's like, God, yeah. they, if they keep pushing the envelope, like we have to keep pushing it even more." And Carpenter had a scene where. A little girl is like shot and killed in the, in the very opening scene. It's like, ugh, god, now yeah, I have to top that. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep killing kids.